0: Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, and being my pleasure. Podcast. Um, So I just wanted to jump right in and talk about pelvic floor health and what you do. So um, why don't you start just saying a little bit more about what you do here at the Rehab
1: Center? Sure. So um, everyone here at the Pelvic Health and Rehabilitation Center, we're all physical therapists. And we specialize in treating the pelvic floor mm-hmm. so the pelvic floor are the muscles within the pelvis mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a muscular bowl supports the pelvic organs so that would be the bladder colon and either the prostate or the uterus mm-hmm. so i treat or we who do pelvic floor pt we treat um, the muscles within the pelvis but then we also address the muscles or all the structures externally as well, just like a physical therapist would. But just what makes us specialized is we're treating those internal muscles as well. Got it. Um, And why is it so
0: important to kind of focus on those pelvic floor muscles and exercise them regularly?
1: So I don't know if it's necessarily important to exercise them regularly because your pelvic floor is always working. Mm -hmm. It's supporting your pelvic organs and it's a core stabilizer. So when you're up and moving around and going about your daily life, the muscles are working. Mm -hmm. Um, So they don't really need to be exercised, but it is important to keep those muscles healthy because again, they're doing a lot of different functions. Mm -hmm. One, they're just providing you stability throughout the day. Um, But also, these muscles are maintaining continence. So it's the reason why we don't pee or poop our pants. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're also the reason why when you do want to go to the bathroom, you're able to because you want to. So you can relax those muscles in order to void or defecate. Mm -hmm. But then when you're walking around and obviously don't want to do those things, they maintain continence. Um, These muscles also um, are involved in sexual functions, so orgasm, as well as obtaining and maintaining erections. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's definitely important to keep them healthy. Um, And there's definitely, what we're working on usually is people who are coming in because they have muscle dysfunction. So they may present with things like pain, um, pain with sex, um, urinary incontinence, Mm -hmm. bowel dysfunction, all sorts of things. So we're addressing the muscles now that they've become, have become dysfunctional um, in order to get people back to having better quality of life and function. So, is there a way to help prevent us
0: to like before we get to that point of dysfunction?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, there's definitely a lot of different things. Um, obviously, it's person dependent. Mm-hmm. But usually, the big thing I always talk about right after the right off the bat with everyone um, is how to have a proper and healthy bowel movement. Um, no one really likes talking about bowel health, but it's Mm -hmm. very important um, because it's something most people are doing at least once a day, if not more every other day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you're having a difficult time with bowel movements, you're pushing, straining a lot, that's putting a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor. Okay. And over time, if you keep doing that, putting a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor by pushing and straining, those muscles are going to become dysfunctional over time or can become dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So... There is a product on the market I always talk about called the Squatty Potty. Mm -hmm. I am not like getting paid by them or anything. You can also just get like a step stool or put some library or not library books but um, phone books. I was like, what is it that no one uses anymore? Phone books. Uh Don't put library books on the floor. I'm a big supporter (laughs) of the library. Um, Get some phone books, put them on the floor, like a step stool. Um, But basically you want something under your feet. So that your knees are then above your hips, so it's almost like you're in a squat position, mm-hmm. um, without having to squat because we have modern day toilets. Right. And as humans, we aren't designed to sit on the toilet to have a bowel movement. Back in the day when we were cave people, we would squat. So if you can get yourself in more squat-like position, that automatically helps put the pelvic floor muscles in their mm-hmm. most optimal position to have a for you to defecate. So that's always like off the bat, I'm always like, if you want to do something, I'd say Mm -hmm. get something like that, Um, make sure you're drinking enough water, because hydration helps promote motility in the colon. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone always thinks like, oh, by eating more and more fiber, and it's like, that's great, but if you don't increase your water with the fiber, Mm -hmm. you might just increase your constipation more, because fiber needs water to help push everything along. Yeah. So, you know, making sure you're eating, you know, a good, healthy diet, lots of leafy greens, things like that. Obviously, if, since again, everyone's different, I recommend if anyone's concerned about their diet, they work with a nutritionist or a doctor to kind of determine what's the appropriate diet for them. Mm -hmm. But obviously, there's like the obvious things like avoiding like soda or lots of like sugary beverages. fast food, things like that, that are obviously not the best things for our colon. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are kind of some of the big things I talk about in terms of like bowel health. Um, And again, having good bowel movements just helps facilitate better pelvic floor health in general. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Um, Maintaining like, you know, a level of activity is also good. And I say that with like a big asterisk because um, when I say that, I mean like walking, low impact cardio, just things that are getting your heart rate up because when you have your heart rate up, pushes blood everywhere, gets everything happy and healthy, including your pelvic floor. So these muscles don't really need a lot of over-engagement, um, but the more you keep moving, getting your blood rate or heart rate up is going to help facilitate like a happy and healthy body, which also will make a happy and healthy pelvic floor. Right, right. Yeah
0: so i saw on your blog that everything in our bodies is really interconnected mm-hmm. but can you just kind of go into that a little bit and how the ankle is connected to the pelvic floor yeah so
1: part of where that i didn't write that blog one of my colleagues shannon did um mm-hmm. came from a journal article or research paper that came out looking at um basically ankle dorsiflexion or what happens when people with vaginas wear heels, (laughs) um, how that position of their ankle can impact incontinence. And they found that there is like a relationship between the ankle position and pelvic floor function. So without going into all like the nitty gritty details, Mm -hmm. that's kind of where it stemmed from. But, you know, I see all the time patients come in and maybe they have like an old like ankle sprain or a knee injury or some old ski accident and they don't really, they maybe mentioned it once. I even have had people who've like broken their toe and it seems very like, oh, it's just like, you know, you sprained your ankle. It doesn't seem like it'd be related, but that can really impact how someone's walking. It can impact their gait pattern. And if you just kind of go up the chain, if the ankle's affected, the knee might be affected mm-hmm. and the hip and then, your pelvic floor is right there in the middle of all that Mm -hmm. Um, because everything kind of connects at your pelvis, your abdominal muscles, your leg muscles, your glutes, your back. So there's a lot of different ways that those muscles can get impacted, even if it seems like, oh, but it was my foot or Mm -hmm. my hand. If over time you've developed these different kind of compensatory strategies due to these orthopedic injuries, Mm -hmm. it can sometimes lend itself to the pelvic floor getting the brunt of that. Because, again, pelvic floor muscles are core stabilizers. So they're working all the time to keep us upright, support our viscera. So they're doing a big job to begin with. And then if you add in, like, oh, I'm walking a little weird or I'm wearing heels all the the time, your muscles might, over time, get a little dysfunctional. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That makes a lot of sense. That's crazy, though. Yeah. I've sprained my ankle so many times. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So that's good to know. Yeah,
1: it's definitely... It's interesting because sometimes when you're when I'm working with a patient, I'm kind of like peeling back the layers and hearing their story, and I'm like, oh, why is like this one thing not getting better? And then they might mention like, oh yeah, this one time I like I've had people be like, oh yeah, I fell off a horse once. I'm like, that's a really big deal. Yeah. But it just doesn't really resonate that it might be contributing to their you know whatever their pain with sex or their incontinence. Um, but it can even be something as little as, like, oh yeah, like I played soccer all the time growing up. I was always like getting hurt or mm-hmm. twisting this or that. And it's like, well, I think maybe you need to actually go see an orthopedic physical therapist because they'll be like, oh yeah, I never saw anyone mm-hmm. like for it. I was 15, like, it didn't matter because um, we bounce back so fast. But right. like sometimes those repetitive injuries kind of, of course, yeah. can ma- manifest into other things later on.
0: So then, would you? S- Would you say to someone who will have kids one day or to young people out there who have those, who have experienced those injuries, like right away, should they be going to an orthopedic physical therapist?
1: I mean, I think it's, it's helpful to get something assessed when you get an injury. Um, You know, it's, it's so hard to say. Like, I don't think like, I don't want people like living in a state of panic. Like, oh no, like I need to see someone anytime. Like I bump my elbow. But yeah, like I think it doesn't hurt. That's the thing is um, physical therapy is pretty safe, it's conservative, it's non-invasive. So I'm like, you know, I don't think it hurts to get a consult. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously some people don't have access to that, so that's right. why I'm like I don't think it needs to necessarily be right. like it's not the end of the world if someone can't go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's, you know, something I'm slowly learning myself. Back in the day I was a dancer, and I hurt myself all the time and I just never went and saw anyone and now I have a lot of different issues in my leg and my hip and it's kind of like okay Rachel like you have to go see someone yeah. and it's hard for me to go yeah and I do this for a living yeah, yeah so I recognize it's not like oh everyone can just go and has all this like free time but definitely yeah I think if someone has been injured and Especially if it's impacting their function, or they're like, you know, I can't do this exercise, or every time I do it, it kind of feels weird. I mean, I think it's worth getting it checked out, because it potentially can be improved, if not resolved. Right. Yeah.
0: So then when someone comes and sees you, what, what does an appointment usually look like? I know you said that you start off kind of talking about mm-hmm. bowel movements. It's like a good place to start. But then how else, like, what else do you guys look at in terms of their lifestyle? Yeah,
1: so the appointment kind of starts like this. Like, I just sit and talk. Okay. Um, usually there's a lot of talking in mm-hmm. the first appointment. So, and it's usually the patient talking to me. Mm-hmm. And I ask a lot of questions. But I usually start with, you know, what's been going on? Just kind of tell me your story. And yeah, just asking a lot of questions about bowel function, bladder function, sexual function, if they have any pain, even if they come in and all they write in their intake is they just have like urinary incontinence. I'm still going to ask all these other questions just because it's surprising how many times um, patients with vaginas especially tell me like, oh yeah, I have pain with sex, but like that I've always had that. And it's kind of like, well, that's not, shouldn't be your normal unless like, you, I guess if someone's like completely fine with that, I'm not going to force them to address it, but it definitely doesn't have to be how someone's living their daily, you know, life. Yeah. Um, so I always ask all those questions. And then um, I usually go over the anatomy, kind of like I did with you, except I have a pelvis that I show them so they can kind of get a visual idea of what I'm going to be looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I explain, yeah, what I'm going to look at in the exam. Mm-hmm. So I usually, not usually, I always step out of the room at that point, they will get undressed from the waist down, mm-hmm. they get draped, kind of similar to when you go to the gynecologist yeah. or a doctor's appointment. The only difference is, is I don't use like stirrups or a speculum or anything like that. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I always do is I look externally. So you know, depending on the person I might start in the abdomen or their legs, I'm looking at all the muscles as well as the connective tissue that covers the body. Okay. So I'm doing a lot of manual therapy techniques to assess what's going on. So maybe I'll see someone who comes in and they had a C-section. So I'm going to want to obviously look at the scar, see how it's moving. Um, So I'm looking at everything externally that I want to look at that first day. And then depending, I will do an internal exam. So everything's done with gloves and it's just one gloved, lubricated finger that I either insert vaginally or depending, I sometimes do a rectal exam. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's a patient with a penis, I kind of have to do a a rectal exam because there's no other way to assess the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just kind of depends if it's a patient that has a vagina. I typically am doing a vaginal exam but sometimes I do a vaginal exam and a rectal exam. Mm -hmm. If they're coming in with tailbone pain, it's usually a little easier for me to assess the tailbone Mm -hmm. or the rectum, so it just kind of depends. But either way, I do an internal exam. Mm -hmm. Um, Before I even insert my finger, I do a visual assessment just to look at the vulva, see what it looks like, see if there's anything that I think a dermatologist should look at or another healthcare provider, Um, and then, I insert my finger, and I'm essentially just palpating or feeling what the muscles feel like inside the pelvis. Okay. And then I typically ask a patient if they can contract or do a Kegel around my finger, if they can then relax, and then if they can push my finger out or lengthen their muscles. Okay. So I really want to see if they're able to do all the movements that their pelvic floor muscles should be able to do. Mm-hmm. It's just like any other muscle of the body, the pelvic floor should be able to contract relax and lengthen. Mm-hmm. So that's something I want to see if someone can do. Okay. Um, most often people are surprised. They're like, oh, I bet like you have everyone doing Kegels. And I'm like, well, most people can't do anything with their pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. I ask them to contract, nothing happens. I ask them to relax, nothing happens. I ask them to lengthen, not much happens. So usually Kegels are not where I'm going right away. Usually people need to work on, if anything, relaxing their pelvic floor. Um, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So <laughs> after I have them do all those different movements, yeah, I step out, patient gets dressed, mm-hmm. I come back in and that's when we talk about things like the bowel health stuff is typically something I go over with most people, um, including my patients. Um, and then I talk about, yeah, what I found on the exam, mm-hmm. what I think the game plan should be in terms of a treatment plan, um, and things I want them to start doing at home. Mm-hmm and then basically appointments from there on out are somewhat similar to the initial appointment, just there's less talking at the beginning, it's more treatment-based, and it really will just depend on what I found on examination that will dictate what will be going on in each treatment session.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, So I saw that you guys also offer services to the transgender and Mm non-gender conforming communities. Yes. Um, So what would be some reasons that that community would want to come in and work with someone like you?
1: Yeah, so probably right off the biggest, um, I guess like right off the bat, the thing Uh I I would say is patients that have undergone um, male to female gender-confirming surgery Uh because having a neo-vagina, those patients really need to be on a dilator program. Um, And sometimes they need help doing that Mm -hmm. so dilators are essentially a set of graduated cylinders that are inserted into the vagina Mm -hmm. to help um, either stretch muscles and tissue or maintain um, for those patients would be like kind of maintain that space that's been surgically created got it so that's typically the some one of the reasons I would see someone Mm -hmm. um, would be following that procedure Um, obviously some of those patients are also getting different, um, procedures that may cause some scars. Mm -hmm. And again, we might be working on some of those scars to create more mobility in that tissue because scars can create pain. They can limit range of motion. Um, just like if someone had a knee surgery, they'd want to be working on the scar on the knee or the ankle. Same thing with anyone having any type of surgery is that's something we would address would Mm -hmm. be the scars. Um, so those are kind of some of the big reasons we would see someone following um like a gender confirming surgery got it um
0: and then what can we so you kind of went over what we can do that you like send people home with work to mm-hmm. do like at home so what are some of those things that we can do in our daily lives um, that aren't related to the diet like you've already mentioned yeah
1: so again it's hard because everyone's different mm-hmm. um some examples of things um you know obviously I talked about like the bowel health and just kind of general health right. that people can do right um you know I, I talk a lot about for people doing things like using a foam roller or there's a product called the stick which is essentially like a rolling pin to make sure you're basically working on getting the muscles to be happy and healthy after you exercise um, so myofascial release at home can be done with things like a foam roller or a stick So that's something I feel like most people should be doing mm-hmm. after the exercise obviously again Anyone listening I would say if you're not sure about something go see your provider before starting anything, right? Um, but that's usually something I recommend to most people um, Depending you know making sure people are using like a nice water-based lubricant and um, Usually things you get at the drugstore are not the best because they tend to have um, parabens and other chemicals in them. So there's different lubricants I like. One is Slippery Stuff, Good Clean Love um, are all nice ones. Sustain is another um, Mm -hmm. company that I like their lubricant. Um, So those are all ones that I recommend for people who are engaging in um, penetrative intercourse because... Basically, a good, nice lubricant is going to make the vagina nice and happy um, during penetrative intercourse. So, that's something else that I talk to patients a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, practicing really nice, slow diaphragmatic breathing can be helpful. Um, there are some good apps that exist out in the world to help kind of with mindfulness and meditation insight timer calm breathe there's like a slew of them Mm -hmm. but i think we all can benefit in our busy stressful lives from taking a time out Mm -hmm. um even if i i don't know what their symptoms are you know i think everyone kind of benefits from that um just for overall health and wellness
0: yeah totally i mean i think those daily, just being mindful of mm-hmm. your pelvic floor and aware of it is already, I feel like, a step in a good, mm-hmm. <laughs> good direction. Yeah. Um. So then, before women are, you know, going to get pregnant, um, mm-hmm. is there anything that you would specifically recommend for them to
1: just be thinking about before they get pregnant
0: or during pregnancy, things that they can do before childbirth?
1: Um. I mean, definitely everything I talked about yeah. already kind of fits into that. Um. Again, everyone's different. Um, I Unless a doctor has told someone to you know, be on bed rest or not be doing certain activities, I definitely say trying to remain as you know active as possible within reason. Again, I don't think someone should suddenly start taking up right. Right, Taibo or some new exercise, but I'd say if they can be walking, um, if they like to swim, and they've been doing that every single day, continue to swim or jog, of engage continue to engage in exercise because as I always describe it it's called labor for a reason having you know a baby is a lot of work Mm -hmm. and I've sat in on a full delivery when my niece was born and it is crazy people (laughs) who have babies it is crazy like I'm just in awe of like childbirth and yeah the whole thing because it is a lot um, and then, you know, you have the baby and then suddenly you are working like yeah. being a mom is, I think they said recently, it's the equivalent of having two and a half, like full-time jobs and you never get a day off and you don't get paid. Yeah. So <laughs> it is like, you know, insane. So you have to be, you know, in good physical shape yeah. to not only have the baby, deliver it, even, you know, whether it's the vaginal delivery or a C-section, it's a lot. So, and then you're just suddenly being given this person that you have to keep alive. Yeah. And, you know, if people choose or are able to breastfeed, that's a whole lot of work on your body. Um, so, you know, I always encourage people to like stay active again, obviously if someone's being told they should be on bed rest or not exercise, don't follow that recommendation. But in general, that's what I encourage people to do, like staying active, staying healthy. in terms of, like, diet and making sure you're staying hydrated um, is probably, like, my number one recommendation because, again, it's a lot of work. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. So then
0: for anyone coming in who is pregnant, um, does that change the appointment in any way or is it still kind of the same deal?
1: Yeah, it depends. Some people, it depends on where they are in their pregnancy because, obviously, at a certain point they can't lay on their stomach anymore. And sometimes I want to look at someone's back and tailbone and everything um, with the patient laying on their stomach. So you know that definitely, Im- how they're able so, to, yeah. to lay is gonna be impacted. And then after a certain point, um, have, uh, laying on their back or in supine um, is sometimes difficult, especially as someone's later in their pregnancy. Right because the weight of the baby can put pressure on the large um, vessels that bring blood flow to and from the heart. So sometimes if a patient is laying on their back for too long, they may start to get dizzy, they may get lightheaded, short of breath, and that's obviously not good. No. (laughs) So so there's just certain positioning that we sometimes have to avoid or modify, um, depending on where they are in their pregnancy. depending, sometimes patients are told by their doctor they can't have any internal work. Um, So, you know, obviously, like, if the doctor says none, no internal work, I'm not doing any internal work. So that definitely, you know.
0: Why would the doctor
1: say that? So similar things that can cause someone to be on bed rest. Uh Um, There's other kind of conditions where maybe they're like, You know, you can still be up and moving around, but no sex, nothing that's going to potentially impact that area of the body. Okay. So if someone's told they're not supposed to have sex, that means I'm not going to do an internal exam. Um, Or sometimes the doctor straight up is like, no internal work. You can see a PT to do anything externally. Mm -hmm. Um, So really just, so there's different things that can maybe change what I'm going to do during the appointment. But in general, I'd say majority of people, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, again, the only thing that's different is sometimes how I can position or how the patient can be positioned, right. as well as after a certain point, I'm not really going to work on their abdomen. because right. There's not really anything <laughs> anywhere anywhere to go there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but otherwise, everything's pretty much the same.
0: And then do... Um- does that have an indication, like if you can't do any internal work on how the labor will be, like can they do a vaginal delivery or is it usually a C-section at the end of the day?
1: It really depends. Um, I mean, I this is the thing I tell anyone who comes in who's pregnant or anyone who's like, I want to be pregnant someday or just is curious. I'm like, you know, it, it, every, it who knows what could happen? There are so many variables. Of course, um, yeah. So, it, you know, I I see people who've been told not to have sex and er, therefore I'm not doing an internal exam and they have a totally normal delivery. I can see someone who's had like totally normal pregnancy, everything's been fine. And, you know, they maybe have like a a not so great delivery or they end up having this uh, emergency C-section. So there can be, you know, there's so many variables. And that's again why it like, the whole process really blows my mind because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And there's so many, you can be so prepared and have everything, you know, done everything quote-unquote right and end up having, you know, completely different delivery than what was planned. Right. Um, so it's, you know, you try to have the best plan possible, but it's just that it's a plan. You never know exactly. what's going to happen. Yeah. And then after, um, when women come in, mm-hmm. after they've given birth,
0: Um, how do you help them kind of get everything back Uh to its normal state yeah
1: so again it really depends so Mm -hmm. usually what we recommend is after they've gone to their it's usually a six or an eight week checkup with their physician or their healthcare provider that's typically when the doctor like does the exam and they're like okay you're you're good um you can have that's usually when they're cleared to have sex and most patients come in they're like, I have no desire to have sex yet. I'm like, yeah, that's, um, that's fine. Um, but again, if they're cleared to have sex with their doctor, I can do an internal exam. Got it. Okay. Um, so that's why usually patients wait till after that appointment. Okay. But it really depends. Sometimes I have patients come in and they don't really have anything going on. Like They don't have symptoms and everything looks fine. And I'm like, oh, like you really don't need to see me. And it's always nice, especially if I saw those patients during their pregnancy and maybe they had um, like hip pain or back pain or they, you know, were just miserable while they were pregnant. And now they're like, oh, like, no, I feel great. And I'm like, great. Like, you don't need to see me anymore. It was awesome. Just the baby. Yeah. yeah. It was just like pregnancy <laughs> yeah. is a trip and, it, you know, things are changing mm-hmm. and that's great. Um, but, you know, if someone's coming in with a specific issue... I guess in general, I should say most patients that come in postpartum, it's pretty similar to a patient I'm seeing who hasn't had a baby, um, doing all the same things. We're gonna talk about what happened. Obviously, if they experienced some trauma or something during delivery, I wanna know about it. Was there any tearing? Um, were they in labor for a long time, then they had to be in, like have an emergency C-section? I wanna yeah. know the whole story. Right. Um, And then it just, you know, everything else is pretty similar. Most patients postpartum, I want to check to see if they have what's called a diastasis Mm -hmm. or diastasis recti, which is just a separation that occurs in the abdomen. Obviously having, being pregnant, the the abdomen stretches, stretches, stretches. And what can happen is the two big abdominal muscles, the rectus abdominis can separate and just not really close back together after delivery. So I always want to check and see if someone has that. Oftentimes, it closes or resolves on its own. Um, But sometimes, you know, I'll give them exercises they can do to kind of move things along. Or if it's a really big diastasis, I'm like, okay, let's have you start doing this just to kind of help facilitate getting that closed and increasing stability in the abdomen. Um, And then, yeah, everything else is pretty much the same. And then like I said what I find on exam will kind of dictate what happens for the rest of treatment
0: yeah and I've heard like for the diastasis
1: you should avoid crunches Mm -hmm. at all costs yeah I mean again if someone has a big separation and they go into a crunch and they see all this they see a big kind of bulge or dome is usually what it kind of looks like I'd say yeah you probably don't want to do crunches but if you've been checked and like maybe you have like a little tiny diastasis it you know there's definitely a gray area there in terms of like who can do crunches but yeah in general i'd say if you have a diastasis um until it's been kind of addressed or you've achieved better um abdominal function because there's a lot of debate in terms of diastasis treatment but in but kind of what I follow is the premise that getting the diastasis to fully close is not necessarily as important as making sure you're getting correct activation of your core muscles Mm -hmm. to have like good, just overall stability. Um, Because anyone can get a separation. I think I personally have like a slight like half a finger separation. I've never been pregnant, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm able to engage my transverse abdominis, my core muscles to give me enough stability and support to do everything without it being an issue. Mm -hmm. And I do crunches. Um, So it's not necessarily all about the closure as it is getting like correct muscle activation and support. Um, But obviously if someone has like a five finger separation, you probably want that to have a little more closure that's a big separation. It's like mm-hmm. a whole hand. Um, so yeah, yeah, so it really depends. But yeah, in general, I'd say crunches are something we want people to avoid if they have a diastasis, but okay. not always. Again, it's so dependent on the person.
0: And for women suffering from like incontinence and issues with bowel movements after birth, mm-hmm. is that something that you can also help them with? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because I know someone who had a baby and she was pushing for four hours and they never did a c-section they Mm -hmm. just ended up getting the baby out that way which Mm -hmm. was like a huge strain on the mom and the baby but um she's been dealing with incontinence Mm -hmm. in a way that like the doctors are just like sorry yeah we don't know how to help you
1: (laughs) yeah no like that's definitely something a pelvic floor PT could look at um and possibly help with again there's so many variables Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's definitely something that we see a lot yeah mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah yeah because
0: I've also like I've heard when you're pushing when you're giving birth it's supposed to be pushing like you're pooping not mm-hmm. pushing like you're peeing and people push like they pee because that's just what we kind of know more mm-hmm. I feel like and that's where we go instinctually but that really constrain your bladder mm-hmm. and knowing like how to push correctly is important mm-hmm. so do you help women before they give birth mm-hmm. to understand that yeah so
1: again it's all about having them have good awareness of their pelvic floor muscles and be able to do all those different movements. Right. So being able to contract or Kegel, relax and lengthen. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's definitely something I have patients work on. Um, when they make sure they have a good, yeah, have a good awareness of well and all my patients in general, but, but yeah, definitely like people who are preparing for delivery Um, because like I said, most people don't really know what to do with those muscles in any direction. And for some reason, magazines and society, everyone like kind of really pushes the contracting end. And, you know, every magazine I read is like, Kegels, do Kegels for this, do Kegels for that. And it's just funny. I'm like, I don't know why Kegels have become this like, yeah. Superstar of, like, the vagina. Like, <laughs> it's like anytime there's an issue in that kind of black box area, people just, like, throw kegels at it and then, like, run away. And I'm like, really? Like, kegels are not that cool. I mean, they're just an exercise. But for some reason, they've been labeled as this, like, everyone do kegels, it'll change your life. Um, but again, most people can't do kegels with verbal instruction alone. That's what the research shows people do them incorrectly and no one really I mean it's not something that's gonna like cure every single problem so it's interesting how people really push that side of it but again these muscles should be able to move Mm -hmm. and if you just focus on the contracting and not the relaxing part you're kind of missing this whole other world and your muscles can end up actually getting dysfunctional. I see a lot of people who come in who are like, do kegels all the time um, and now I have pain or now like my incontinence got worse. And I'm like, well, yeah, because your muscles just keep getting more and more tight. After a while, they're just gonna get stuck and a stuck muscle can't really function.
0: Yeah, so you really have to know how to lengthen and relax in addition to that. Mm Yeah. yeah, those are all really good things to know. So yeah. it helps with the internal exam. That's how people can, like, understand it better is during that exam. Basically, because you said verbal instructions don't really yeah. do
1: it. It's to really feel it.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it.
1: Yeah, and so that's why, like, while my finger is still inserted, I'm feeling – I can feel the muscles squeeze mm-hmm. around my finger. I can feel them let go. I can feel the lengthen. And so – you know, that's something that I'm doing during the exam, and I'm giving someone um, verbal feedback, like, "Yeah, like that was good." Do you feel, you know, like we're talking the whole time? Yeah, yeah. And again, it's not necessarily something that happens in one appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell my patients, I'm like, I do this for a living, and like, keep, like doing all that for me is so hard. Mm-hmm. And I do this every single day. <laughs> and so I'm like, it's not something like you can just automatically do. Right, it's, it's work, yeah. It's a little tiny muscle. It's kind of like when you're having people who can like wiggle their earlobes, like and you try to do that, like that's like a tiny muscle that you're not really thinking about. But obviously it's there mm-hmm. because you people can activate it. Mm-hmm. But you can't just suddenly learn to do that in one right. day. Right. So I don't expect someone, if they're not able to contract their pelvic floor or relax it or lengthen it, that it's going to be this like one-time appointment. And mm-hmm. suddenly, they're going to be able to do it. It's going to take time. It's going to take practice, which is right. sometimes why it can be frustrating because, again, we're busy people. And we're used to now living in a time where you can order something and get it within two hours. Um, you know, we're very much like we want it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want fast results. And unfortunately, muscles don't operate on, like, the Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, well, thank you. I mean, this has been great. I feel like I've learned so much. Oh, know about. But um, just for the final round of questions, I'll be asking everyone.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what mantra or words do you like to live by? Just personally? Yeah. Oh, wow. Or for your patients. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, something I say a lot is, um, you know, it this, whatever's going on is common, but Mm -hmm. it's not normal. Um, so that's definitely something, you know, I, like I said, I see so many people who come in who have been experiencing pain with sex or pelvic pain or incontinence. And they're kind of like, well, like, this is normal or I'm not normal. And I'm like, well, what you're experiencing is common. Like, I see this all the time, but it doesn't necessarily have to be your normal. Yeah. So that's definitely something I kind of say say a lot. I don't know if it's a mantra.
0: Yeah, no, I think that is. That's good. Because whenever people say, but that's like how it is for everybody. And I'm always like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want that to just be my norm just because it's okay for everybody Like. So I totally agree Yeah,
1: and I mean, I think the other one being, um, and I don't really know if it's a mantra, but I kind of try to remind myself throughout the day, um, like, we don't know what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. I think I personally get very stuck in thinking like, oh, like, well, what if this happens? What if that, what if, what if, what if? And trying to remind myself, like, we don't know. Like, I don't know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Right. And I think I just try to practice that throughout the day. And I definitely repeat it to patients when they're like, well, what if I have pain? What if, you know, when I go on this trip, like I, get a flare up and I'm like, well, I don't, we don't know. And I think sometimes that's hard because again, we want to have control right. as human beings, right? but um, we unfortunately can't. And so I think that's something I definitely repeat to myself. I don't think it's the most like poetic of mantras, but no,
0: I think that I think it's great. an important
1: one to I, remind ourselves that, you know, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen. And instead to focus on what's going on presently, um, yeah, and also just remembering,
0: will. like, a lot of the things that you worry about will probably never happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so just remembering that. But, um, so then we all know it takes a village to raise kids. So mm-hmm. as an aunt, what do you value in being able to pass on to your niece and nephews? Oh, man. So <laughs> many, so many things.
1: I think just being... Um, Wow, that's like a good question. I know you gave it to me before. Now I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know. Um, to be confident in yeah. who you are as a person and the things you believe in. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy to doubt yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think we all doubt ourselves on a, <laughs> a regular basis. But learn, you know, just really wanting to be confident in who they are and being okay with who they are.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I mean, I think that that goes into the next one, which is the quality you hope to instill in them, which is yeah. definitely yeah, yeah, Conf- confidence, confidence
1: um, and just being a good person, mm-hmm. you know, um, and knowing like it's okay. I think also it's okay to say no. Yes. <laughs> um, as good someone who's not good, good at one. saying no, I've slowly been trying to learn that, and I think sometimes it's hard because yeah, me we too. want yeah to please everyone. Uh, but yeah, just being confident, being good to people, you know, I think those are all yeah. important qualities.
0: Well, thank you so much. Yeah, um, I will share where everyone can find you in the podcast notes. Yeah. Um. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. And have a great rest of your day. Yeah.